So um, the world is changing and has changed. There are assumptions about life, even about something as simple as going to your favorite restaurant and ordering the food you want and the ingredients not being available. Something as small as that, those assumptions have changed, but larger assumptions have changed as well. Uh, my wife and I, we, we visited some really close friends, so, so close in fact that we, we consider them family, we call them kin. And, and we were discussing some of their plans for the future and that they felt like the people that they were close to, maybe they weren't so close to after a year and a half of being in the pandemic. Anybody relate to that feeling, that sentiment, that maybe the relationships and some of the bonds that I thought I had weren't as, as strong um, as, as, as I previously thought. And um, I, I listened for a really long time and one of the things that I brought up when, when it was my turn to share is just, yeah, that this pandemic has greatly altered our thinking and our perceptions about the world and we're not out of it. And in the midst of it, many of us are making incredibly life-altering decisions. People are moving across the country. Uh, one in three people right now in the country, according to some polls, are considering changing jobs and careers. And the, the people leaving jobs, not just like food service jobs and menial jobs, but careers and life paths is in the millions every month. So people there's a, are feeling restless. There's a spirit of restlessness in our world and our culture. I think part of it is we're in denial about how powerless we are over so many realities in the world. And we wanna do something to feel like we're in control. And this morning, as we continue to study the vision of our church, a place to belong and a place to God, what I hope we can do is find just a little bit of a measure of grounding or at least a curiosity of what it would feel like to be grounded in knowing God and, and conversely belonging. So, so it's kind of starting from the emphasis of this, this passage here of, of Paul talking about his deep passion and desire to know Christ and how that impacts our sense of belonging. Because what I'm coming to believe and understand about my own life is I can endure way more pain than I thought I could. That I can, I can face a lot more reality than I thought I could. Not because I'm invincible, not because I'm, I'm Superman, but quite the opposite. Because I've learned that suffering and pain in the face of reality is an opportunity for me to know God that both in celebration and defeat, in, in, in mourning and gladness, that there are incredible opportunities to know God and to have a sense 
a belief and understanding that I belong, that I belong with the group of people that I'm with in this church. And let me tell you, for me, this past year and a half of trying to serve this church, it has been a lot of heartbreak. It's been a lot of heartbreak. But, but, the, but, but the belief that I can know God through Christ, through Christ's suffering and his resurrection, it stabilizes me and grounds me in a way that even just a few years ago, I did not understand. So uh, speaking about knowing, uh, we think we know people a lot, don't we? And, and, and you, can, you, can, you can relate to this if, because our church and a lot of people in our sort of age bracket, we know about the Enneagram, right? Anybody ever been mistyped on the Enneagram? Anybody ever like said to you, some people, nope, I'm, I'm so much my number, never. But others of us said, oh, you're not a five, you're not a whatever number. It's like this personality test thing, right? And, and how, do you, how do you feel when that happens? Or, or, or when your parents still think you're the same person when you, as when you were 13. I, I remember years ago, uh, I was probably a decade ago, my, my mom bought me a t-shirt and, and it, was, it was like exactly the shirt that I would have wanted when I was 12 years old. It had like this, you know, goofy cartoon on the front of some bad joke. And I could see myself 12 years old wearing that. She was so excited to give it to me. And I was like, uh, thanks mom. And I didn't have the heart to tell her, but she could see it was all over my face. Like, yeah, uh, you don't like that, do you? No, I liked it when I was 12, right? So we know the impact of what it feels like when, when somebody thinks they know us, uh, but, but they really don't, or they, they see something about us and it seems to fit to them, but for us, it feels totally off. But you've also probably experienced moments in relationships where you feel really seen and known by that person. So I want you to think about any, any person. It doesn't have to be somebody you know really well, just somebody that saw you really well, that said something to you and was like, wow, I feel like that person really sees me. I want you to think about that. Get a memory fixed in your mind about that. What did that feel like? And then here's another question as you're thinking about that person, that moment or that thing that was said and what it felt like, what do you know about that person? What do you know about that person based on what they saw in you and communicated to you? Maybe you, maybe you know about them that they're really thoughtful or they're really kind or they really value certain attributes because they were able to see those things in you. Here's my point. To be known also is in knowing the other person, the other entity, the other party. So if I'm talking about knowledge of God, 
If I'm talking about knowing something about God, then there is an impossibility for God not to know me in that process. When I think about the baptisms from last week, when somebody was getting baptized, it was because they had come to understand something to be true about what God was like. And at the same time that they were being baptized because of that, they were being known by God as, as someone reconciled to God, as a child of God. And so the knowing went both ways. So that means that for those of us who were taught that knowledge of God meant just an accumulation of facts that we could receive and regurgitate, it means we're missing out on knowing an actual living human being. So that's what we're gonna talk about for the rest of my time this morning is how do we know God and how does that simultaneously fit together with being known? And I'll give you the answer up front. We know God through scripture. We know God through worship. We know God through relationship with one another, through our eight practices, through our service, through love. We know God as the ground of our being of grace. But today, um, I wanna explore in depth for a few more minutes how we are known, how we know, and how we can be known in relationship with God through this passage. So um, Paul, in this letter, he's writing from prison. He's in prison. He's writing to these folks, the Philippians, and the Philippians, and they live in, in Philippi, and it's a, it's a Roman town, and it's in Eastern Europe, and it's filled with retired soldiers. So if a town's filled with retired soldiers for the empire that you live in, what do you know about that town? It's gonna be a lot of flags, gonna be very patriotic and things like that. There's a big problem for Christians in a town like that, at least at this time. And that problem was that Caesar was Lord, that Caesar was the son of God. And here you have this scrappy little group of Christians who are saying, our crucified Messiah, he's Lord, he's God. So that's not going well for them. They're being persecuted. They're being uh, bullied and facing resistance and things like that. And Paul is writing this letter to encourage them in the midst of this. And even the fact that he is, he's talking to everybody in prison about his relationship with Jesus, his connection to this Messiah. Um, it's emboldening the people of Philippi to talk about this relationship. And he says things like this to the Philippians. In Philippians 1.9, he says, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He says in chapter one, verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, and then up in Philippians 3, starting at the beginning of our passage this morning in verse 7, he says this, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He's not talking about gains in the gym. He's not like easing up on his protein shakes or anything. He's talking about something else. 
In, in the last few verses, he says something, because this, this is an incredible claim to make. If you're thinking, well, you know, this, uh, co- this comparative religion, there's a lot of things in common between religions. But the thing that this guy here, Paul, is talking about as he's in prison and might die seems to supersede some of those things because he says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He says in verses four through six in the same chapter, Philippians 3, he says this, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day, meeting those religious criteria, of the people of Israel, uh, ethnically pure for his religion, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, verse six, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultness, faultless. These are the things that Paul says he counts as loss. So within his tribe, Again, he's, he's a pure blood. He's got confidence in his racial and ethnic identity. He's got the confidence that those things afford him and how they relate to his acceptance by God. He has religious zeal. So the religious zeal of hating other people and hurting other people who seem to contradict your faith. He's got that down. He seems to be a incredible follower and teacher of all the right laws, okay? He worked with a passion to do something that, that he thought disagreed, to, to, to punish the people that disagreed with his perspective about who and what God was. And he was extremely adept at his own moral righteousness and purity, If we were to translate that into our American context today, um, he would be lauded as a great American Christian. And so in summary here, Paul is saying that his status in his culture through his ethnicity, race, and religion as a position of a teacher and with his passion for rooting out heretics and his morals and religious fervor, he had achieved everything that the flesh would consider valuable from a sociological and religious standpoint, that he had it all together. And he says he counts it as nothing. He counts it as nothing to compare to the knowledge of knowing Christ. And I just wanna take one second here what, to say what Paul means by flesh. We took some pains to have, we, we had a series earlier in the year um, about the, the physicality of human spirituality. And, and we've got the, the Greek here uh, on, on the screen, but this word flesh, uh, sars, uh, has, has different definitions in the New Testament. Here's a few of them. The natural attainments of men, the weaker element in human nature, the seat of sin in man, but not the same thing as in the body. So I just wanted to make that clear. What Paul is is talking about as the flesh here, he's talking about what could be attained, what, what status and symbols of values could be attained for him, the currency of his value as a human being. He'd achieved all those things. Like all the things any of us could be striving for that would give us value, the currency of value as a human being in our culture, he got those things. 
and he found them to be a poor substitute for being known by God. This is, this is something, as Paul says in, in the end of this verse, I think I am going to be forever chasing that I am so passionate to understand that, that I'm willing to continue to go through pain to understand what it means to be known, to know that I am known so much by God that I can say the, all of those things, what I make, what my degrees say about me, what people see me as are a poor substitute for just being known. In verse 10, he says this, I want to know Christ. <laughs> this guy who's, who's been a missionary all over this whole part of the world, he's saying, I want to know Christ. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. He says, yes, I want to know Christ to the power, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So, so this passage, with all of its grand language, is about knowing a person. It's about knowing somebody. And, and, and consequently, that means, as we were talking about earlier, being known. Being known. To deeply know somebody is also to be known. So how do you get to know a person? There's a couple ways I see in this passage. We're going to list them on the screen here. How do you get to know a person? You get to know their story. Once you know a person's story and you can sit with their story, you develop empathy for that person, compassion and empathy. And if you let that percolate for too long, you might end up moving into action, into some kind of partnership with that person in their life and in their desires and what they're passionate about because you've gotten to know them so well. That's what happens when we watch a movie with a great protagonist, right? By the end, you're rooting for that person. You want them to win. You want them to succeed because you feel like you know them. And ultimately, this partnership or action, doing maybe doing something for that person leads into something even deeper, a participation in their life. Like on the level of my friends that are no longer just friends to me. Like if we die, they will parent my children. So we participate in their life. So knowing a person's story leads to empathy, which leads to action, which leads to a deep participation in their life. Paul encountered the story of Christ. In the chapter uh, five of the book of John, verse 39, Jesus says this to some of the listeners around him. He said, you study the scriptures diligently, these religious people, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So yeah, how do we learn the story of Christ? Well, first, from the scriptures. Yeah, right now, uh, Amanda Wig is leading a, a Bible study. Uh, it's just started, you can join in. And she's teaching us about the 
Bible in 14 epics, 14 stories that we can understand and learn about through that, the story of Christ. That's why we have story groups because we so closely identify with the life of Jesus that we believe by learning to hear one another's stories, to listen, to deeply understand where has someone come from without trying to judge them or change them or fix them or make them more like us, that we can actually participate in knowing more about Christ. They are his body. They're found, the story of Jesus is found in us, in the church, in the life and the history of church. It's the story of Jesus, all of these things. And so when you think about a movie and you're watching a movie and you're, and you're thinking, gosh, I hope this person makes it through. That is a way to consider thinking differently about maybe what you were taught about knowing God as a collection of information and ideas in that way. That the scriptures are primarily a story. And what are we as human beings if not a story? So Paul is learning this story of, of, of the Christ and he collides with this story of Christ in a way that forever shaped and changed him that led him to a deep level of empathy and compassion. He met Jesus on this road. You may have heard of it, the Damascus Road. Anybody ever heard of that one? I feel like if you don't know anything about the New Testament, you still know about the Damascus Road story. And, and when, when Paul collided with Jesus, Jesus asked him a question. Why are you persecuting me? It changed Paul. Paul came to the realization that the story that he had been learning and thinking about, that it was actually about a human being that bled and that hurt. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? And so that story came to life in a different way for Paul. It shaped and translated his heart to the point where all of his many and great and awesome achievements mattered less than that. If you've ever been deeply in love, you know what this feels like. We're like, oh, I'll call in to work again, babe, right? That works for a little while. <laughs> you, know, you know this feeling uh, where something begins to matter to you more than anything else. And Paul understood this when he had that encounter with Jesus. There's a, a folk artist, singer I really like. Um, her name's Joy Elodikin, Joy Elodikin. Any fans out there? Um, she's got a song and she's a great lyricist. This is, this is just simple lyrics though, but it, it made me think of this song. When you know someone's story, you develop empathy for them, you end up sounding like this. Hey, if you got a problem, I got a problem too, right? If you're standing at the bottom, I'll reach out for you. I know in our culture, in our world, this has happened uh, with things like Black Lives Matter. Like I can't tell you last year for me when I saw, I saw a 50-year-old white man holding a sign in a protest and it said, 
uh, Trayvon is my son and George Floyd is my brother and Breonna Taylor is my sister. Man, I about lost it, tears. Because the thing is when you start to know somebody's story and you let yourself have empathy for that person, it will change you. It will change the way you know and where you feel like you belong. So some of us, we think if we manipulate the outsides of our life, it will change this reality, but it won't. It might make you a little happier, a little less sad about some things, but you'll be forever chasing this. Um, for me, a moment where this happened in my life, I was 21, I was in college, and I was driving to school. I was living in an apartment, um, and uh, I was working full-time and going to school part-time, and I had, really, I had probably $15 to my name, no, no savings accounts or anything like that. And I got some gas and a Gatorade, and there was a guy that was sitting outside and um, in, my, in my just young naivete and my excitement about my faith at the time, I just sat down next to this guy and he, he was experiencing homelessness and he was just so sad about his life. And I don't even, he was barely aware of my presence, but he was talking to me about what he was going through. And he started crying about his life. And I was crying with him. I started crying with him in the middle of the day outside of this gas station on my way to a class at U of M. And that moment changed me. There was something that I understood in that moment about the beatitudes of, of, of mourning with those who mourn, of, of, of the blessed being those who mourn, the blessed being the poor in spirit, that became a reality for me as I encountered something of the nature and the life of Christ in that moment. So uh, knowing someone's story leads to empathy and that leads to action. Paul says uh, in one of his letters, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It sounds to me a lot of times really uh, prideful to say that, but I think he's saying it more in this regard. Like I'm, I'm putting into action some things here. I want to participate in this. I want to partner in with what's going on here. That's why we call it partnership at, at Christ City. And he says this in verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, become like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The power of the resurrection, that sounds good to me, to know that abundant, unkillable, unconquerable life of Jesus. But it's connected and tied to the participation in the suffering. Those things go together. They both, they don't fit. One doesn't fit without the other. And so, here Paul is wanting to know and participate in the power of the resurrection, but also in the sufferings of Christ here. 
that he has come to know the story of Christ. He's come to deep intimate in empathy with the story of Christ and who Christ is. And he's beginning to feel known in this story to the point where he's ready to act and participate. We, um, we laud heroes for doing great things, for achieving these amazing things. But there's oftentimes a story of a lot of suffering that goes with that. And Paul recognizes that. And, and he wants all of that from his savior, from his Christ. He's found something that saves better than status symbols, better than substitutes for intimacy and being known where people just like you or you feel like you've just got some momentary happiness, that he's in prison saying, I want to know the sufferings of Christ because I've understood it to mean more than anything else. He talks about this participation in another letter, the, the letter of Romans to the Romans. He says in, in Romans chapter six, verse five, 11, and I'm coming to my conclusion in this last part here. He says this, for if we have been united with him, Christ, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this, like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. And in verse eight, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And then listen to this last verse we'll read. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Participating in the death and the life of Christ. That's, that whole part is too much to unpack in the last couple of minutes that we have but I want you to think about this, this illustration. Um, a kid, you ever, you ever seen a kid participating in or trying to act out the same thing that they see their parents doing? Ever seen that before? Um, you ever been that kid? Can you remember doing that uh, with your parents? Uh, Paul sees the life of his Messiah and he says, ah, the one I love, the one who has all the answers, which that's who our parents are when we're little, he did this. So I'm gonna do the same thing. I'm gonna do the same thing because that's where life is, the death and the resurrection. You know, there's, there's a lot of important questions out there about Christianity. There's a lot of things that have been uh, cracked and frayed and splintered, especially in American evangelicalism. They have been exposed that there are so many churches and so many people who identify as Christians that are really propped up by all the things that Paul said he counts as nothing. And if you take those things away, those, those groups fall apart. So I'm interested to see what will happen I'm interested to see if there are people who are inspired 
enough by this story that they want to participate in the life of Christ. There's a lot of questions I don't have to answer to be able to do that. I can ask as many questions as I want about all the rest of the stuff if I believe this is worth participating in. And that's what I invite us to do at Christ City. I had some more things to say. I'm gonna, I'm gonna end here. We've had a, a, full, a full morning. Um, when we choose to participate in this life of Christ, we will find ourselves belonging. We will find ourselves grounded in a way that nothing else in your life will be able to do. And so I wonder who wants to go on that journey with us at Christ City. I'm going regardless. It's the only way I know to go. I've tried other things. I've seen other things. I've heard other things. And this is the only way that I know to go. So I guess I'm saying I'm kind of like talking like Paul. Whatever else happens, I got to do this. So now we come to the point in the service where we get to participate in this act of faith by receiving the knowledge of God, of Christ, through his suffering, through his death and resurrection at the table. So let's join together and do that. I'll pray for us as we move in that direction.